Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. This Monday edition, another week ahead of us. And as I was last week, I am joined again at the top of the week by Josiah from the Pondering Politics YouTube channel. Getting lots of positive reviews about you, Josiah. So until that changes, you're sticking around. <laughs> I hope it doesn't change anytime soon, Lucas. But I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to doing this with you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Donald Trump. We'll start with with this. Donald Trump delivered a series of these true social meltdown videos. He puts out, I call them true social diatribes, and they're statements, I guess, video statements where he addresses different subjects. And this one, as you can uh, guess, a series of them was about his uh, recent arrest and arraignment. He's very unhappy, and I want to walk through a few of these, uh, starting with this one. America went to sleep last night with tears in its eyes. Someday soon, however, it will be able to wipe away those tears and smile bigger than ever before. For we will have defeated the radical left Marxists, fascists, communists, and lunatics and deranged maniacs, and cleared the path to put America first, and then quickly, we will make America great again. It's going to happen. They are fighting us with every bit of their crooked blood. But we're going to win, and we're going to win bigger than ever before. We will make America great again. <laughs> Wiping the tears away, Josiah. America, it was a dark... And that taps into, uh, before you jump in, the subject we talked about in the past about Trump's indictment, where so many pe people will be saying that this is a dark... Uh, day in American history, the indictment of Trump. And it's dark in that Trump did the things he did. It's not dark that he's being held accountable for it. No, the, the ethic is the idea that nobody is above the law. And as we've discussed in separate videos, as we've discussed offline, as we've discussed in previous collaborations, there are certain accommodations that the law makes to the sitting president because it's not feasible to have a chief executive who's being like you know hauled into court for every potential civil lawsuit or whatever so there's a certain degree of immunity the sitting presidents enjoy Donald Trump is not the sitting president he was not the sitting president when he committed the the crimes that he was alleged to make in the unsealed uh, Jack Smith indictment so this idea that he should be above the law is ridiculous it is a dark day that a former chief chief executive who may yet be the future chief executive shudder the thought, um, is guilty of the crimes that he's been alleged to make. That's the terrifying part. The fact that he is being held accountable, that's not the darkness. That is the that is the daylight breaking over the horizon. That's right. you know, that's dawn, baby. That's dawn is what that is. And if anything, it gives us some hope that the system can work correctly. So many times we've seen um, the opposite, where if you are powerful, wealthy, well-connected, influential, you aren't held to the same standard under the law as someone else who did the exact same things, but um, doesn't fall under those characteristics. And so here, that's not playing out. We are seeing accountability, or it looks like we may see accountability for the actions that Trump uh, took, and that's a really good thing. Next video here from his true social account. Now that the seal is broken, in addition to closing the border, and removing all of the criminal elements that have illegally invaded our country. That's right. It's been an invasion. 
making America energy independent and even energy dominant again, and immediately ending the war between Russia and Ukraine. We'll do all of that. I will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after the most corrupt president in the history of the United States of America, Joe Biden, the entire Biden crime family, and all others involved with the destruction of our elections, borders, and our country itself. These are corrupt people. These people are destroying America, and they're going to pay a price for it. Thank you. That kind of that ending kind of reminded me of uh, the end of his speech where he's like, everyone's being murdered. Thank you very much. <laughs> a lot of these, yep. he has to end these little clips. It's his, his style to say either make America great again or thank you very much. But sometimes he'll be on this really dark note. Everything's falling apart. Thank you very much. Have, Have a good, a good night. night. Have a good yeah. night. Have a good night. Um, but I mean, this is the absurd talking point we've heard from uh, so many, including Trump and his supporters, that what Trump should do, they're accusing the federal government right now under Joe Biden of being weaponized against conservatives, but rooting on, and there's not evidence to that effect, but rooting on an actual weaponization of the federal government against liberals, Democrats, the political opponents of Donald Trump, saying that if Trump were to become president again, he should try to lock up Joe Biden while saying Joe Biden is wrongly trying to lock up Trump when there's not evidence for that. Wild. Yeah, the whole the whole thing. Actually, he said several just really bizarre talking points there. So the first thing I, I got to draw attention to, the unfortunate phrasing of the seal is broken, then getting into, you know, falsehoods about um, illegal crossings at the border. Um, we've actually seen a tremendous reduction of that on President Biden's watch since the uh, revocation of Title 42, which has surprised, I think, many people, certainly the Republican Party. They are desperate. They are scrambling for talking points with respect to the southern border since we've seen a stark reduction in contacts. He also talks about energy independence. We are energy independent under President Biden by the Republicans' own standards. During the Trump administration, I mean, when, you know, supply and demand kicked in and people weren't driving, you know, it, we certainly saw some, some great highs under President Trump. But since COVID has stabilized, we've seen them being regained under President Biden. And then obviously, you talk about the special counsel situation. So, yes, there is a stark hypocrisy there where Republicans are saying, listen, the the attorney general who appointed a special counsel to look into Trump and also, by the way, into President Biden, there is the Robert Herr, yep. a Republican special prosecutor, is still investigating President Biden. That investigation has not been shut down. We don't know where it'll go. Um, the idea that that's a politicization and for a documents, to be clear, not for the accusations for, that they've made. No, correct. Yeah. So so he is being investigated by Robert Hur for the very same reason, broadly speaking, that Donald Trump was, which is the retention of classified documents. And again, that investigation is still ongoing. We don't know where it may go, but that's proof of a relative. And I would argue unnecessary, you know, generosity on Merrick Garland's part to try to avoid the appearance of impropriety. He's trying to go out of his way totally. to say, hey, listen, the Department of Justice is not weaponized. I'm investigating or I'm having my own boss investigated. You all would never do that. The Republicans would never have appointed, you know, a special counsel to investigate Trump in this respect. Uh, and certainly not to go to the to the lengths that, that Garland has to be even handed. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a 
it's a completely insubstantial talking point. And now you have Donald Trump actively campaigning that he will weaponize the Justice Department even further. And I don't think we're seeing pushback from Republicans on that talking point. I don't think we've seen Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, or even Mike Pence or Chris Christie, people who are running against him, come out and say, you know what, Mr. President, that's really inappropriate for you to threaten to do, uh, you know, while you're running for reelection because they don't care. Absolutely. And it's the exact same uh, hypocrisy and just dishonest set of actions that have been getting taken by the uh, weaponization subcommittee or whatever it is under the House Oversight Committee, where in investigating the weaponization of the federal government, they're weaponizing their role in the federal government, attempting to get involved, as we saw with the Manhattan DA investigation and indictment, trying to run interference for Trump uh, there. Then harassing a private company into not taking certain actions being Twitter on their platform as a private platform. And they're saying you can't take certain actions because we don't agree with your policy decisions there. Um, and so many other examples where this committee that's supposed to be getting rid of, or at least uncovering weaponization of the federal government is weaponizing their power in the federal government to help the conservative uh, movement and to help kind of these conservative talking points thrive. It's pretty bonkers uh, kind of resetting for our YouTube segment viewers. Donald Trump has been posting a bunch of these outrageous and kind of meltdowny videos on True Social responding to his arrest and arraignment and the indictment involved. And we're walking through them. Uh, we have a couple more to look at, starting with this one. Joe Biden will forever be remembered as not only the most corrupt and incompetent president in the history of our country, but perhaps even more importantly, the president who together with a band of his closest thugs, misfits, and Marxists, tried to destroy American democracy. We're not going to let that happen. We will make our country better than ever before. We will make America great again. Thank you. The projection, Josiah, uh, Biden is the one who's trying to destroy American democracy. For what? For what? When I, I have no Trump, idea. The, the speaker, the author of that statement, is the one who attempted to actually overthrow American democracy and keep himself in the White House, even though he lost. Yeah, and that was that was after attempting to litigate his way into a second term with 60 court cases across the country, which were laughed out of court. I mean, this man tried everything in the book, you know, election denialism, preemptive election denialism, even before the first ballot was cast, that the whole thing was going to be rigged. Uh, he suppressed voter turnout among his own base by discouraging the use of mail-in and absentee ballots, which could have worked for Republicans as well. They could have availed themselves of those opportunities. And he, you know, sunk his own battleship, so to speak, tried to litigate his his way into a second term, then tried to coup his way into a second term. The only thing I'll say, there is actually one piece of positivity, I think, to come from that, Luke. And and, and you may you may not have caught it with all that negativity. Okay. He is actually referring to Joe Biden as the president of the United States. I Like progress. That's Ooh. progress, baby. We are finally seeing a recognition that Joseph Robinette Biden is the actual sitting president of the United States. That is it's so sad that that is a colossal gain from like a, co a colossal concession from the MAGA contingent, but um, I'll take it. Sometimes these uh, sort of projections seem to be almost taunting the other side with how much it applies to themselves. Tucker Carlson has done this a lot um, 
especially when, on Fox News. I'm sure he's doing it now, but I don't watch his Twitter show ever. Um, but he would constantly say things like, what would you do if you were trying to lie to mass amounts of people? You would, and then he would just go on to describe everything he does, but he's supposed to be saying it about other news networks. Yeah, with a look on his face like that. And it almost seemed to be so blatantly describing himself that it was, it was trolling us. And Trump does that sometimes too. Biden is the corrupt anti-democratic president, according to Trump. Come on. Somewhere in there, you know that you're describing yourself, Donald. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to this clip. I hope the entire country is watching what the radical left lunatics are doing to America and all we stand for, everything we stand for, they're trying to destroy. We are a nation in serious decline, and it will only get worse. These people truly hate our country. I believe that. I would have never said it. I believe it. It's interesting. Uh, anytime, we've talked about this before, I'm sure, but anytime members of the left will bring forward criticisms of the country, broken systems, uh, talk about things they feel are, are wrong, the accusation from the right will be, you hate America. And are there people who have some vitriolic hate for the country? Sure. Um, but so many of us criticize the country because of our love for our home, our country, and want to make it better. And that's why we criticize it. Just like how you would want the best for a family member you love and want to make them better. Same thing with uh, the country that you love and, and your country. And that never is acceptable for so many of the people who will accuse all members of the left of being America haters. And then Trump will spend minutes, hours in speeches just talking about how horrible everything is, a nation in serious decline, he calls it a third world country, and the right doesn't have a problem with that. Yeah, so we have talked about, I think, the broader topic, which is the asymmetry of expectation and expected rhetoric from the left versus the right. So to your point, if anybody on the left, be it the moderate left, the progressive left, offers even constructive criticism, because there's a nobility and a utility in, progress, in, in constructive criticism. Um, but even the most tepid criticism from the left about the United States, about our past, about what we should be doing, yes, we're tarred and feathered as people who aren't patriots, people who hate this country. And so much is made of it on you know conservative media, social media, things like that. Meanwhile, you had the leading Republican frontrunner, a former president, um, a man who may again yet be the future president, and he routinely, routinely, this is nothing new. This is not an, an, an outlier. He routinely insults, even the, Luke, even you take the MAGA, make America great again. Implicit to that slogan yep. is the idea that America is no longer great. Imagine, imagine if a left winger, if a Democrat said anything even remotely close once to that. And it goes even beyond that. Somebody pointed this out on Twitter because it's not just Trump. It's Trump and major leading Republicans. Think of how often they insult blue states or blue cities, you know, as I, I mean, they'll say something like the equivalent of like a Democrat run hellscape or something like that. Totally. Another colorful language. Imagine a Democrat ever pointing out something that we have we have pointed out because it's factually true. 
the some of like this the if you look at the the 10 states that ha- that are most impoverished, least healthy, least educated, most reliant on federal subsidies, the fact is, and it's not an indictment of the citizens, but the fact is that they are overwhelmingly republican run red states. Imagine if Joe Biden ever said that fact, how it would be received by not just right-wing media, right. but I would argue CNN and in the mainstream media as well. Wow, I can't believe President Devi- Biden's divisive rhetoric, can't, how he talks yeah, about red he states. He hates people in red states. Totally, totally, totally. And I know we have a whole separate segment either on uh, today's show or the bonus show about, uh, who was it? Some Repo- Republican calling, oh, James Comer. James he was Comer. calling, remind me which exact group of people? MSNBC viewers. MSNBC viewers. He said they're low IQ viewers. Imagine a uh, Democratic politician saying the same about Fox Fox News viewers. Yeah. That would cause, like you said, yes, on right wing media, but you would have people on CNN, MSNBC saying, ooh, that's so divisive. I would not like Biden saying that Um, or any Democrat. And it's totally acceptable on the other side. And even liberal media, including myself, don't, doesn't think too much about it, even though we're going to talk about it now. But I don't think too much about it because it's so common. Pretty wild. I said a couple more videos, but we have just one more bit to look at. They want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. They are not coming after me. They're coming after you. I just happen to be standing in their way. And I will never, ever be moving out of their way. On November 5th, 2024, justice will be done. We will take back our country, and we will make America great again. Thank you very much. That talking point I'm so sick of, and I hear it constantly. Uh, see, they're not coming after Trump. So many people told me this uh, in Miami, <laughs> Trump supporters. They're not coming after Trump. They're coming after us. He's just in the way. How? How? Did you take classified documents, keep them for months after being requested time and time again and conspire with others to keep them out of the hands of the federal government and then lie to the federal government and obstruct their investigation. Did you do that? Or was that Trump? Then this has nothing to do with him bravely standing in the way. Great branding tactic. Now, anything bad Trump does, accountability is just him bravely defending his followers from um, being attacked. It's so absurd. What's more likely, I say to Trump supporters, All of the federal government, DOJ, Biden, all of this, they're conspiring to take down Trump. So many parts and pieces going into that. Or one guy just really doesn't want to be held accountable and is saying, yeah, we'll say whatever he'd like, um, whatever he can to convince people that he shouldn't be held accountable. One guy doing what's in his self-interest or a conspiracy the likes of which we haven't seen in ever. (laughs) Yeah. So unfortunately, the problem with conspiracy theorists and and MAGA cultists is they don't deal in probability. They don't deal in reasonableness. It's completely mutually exclusive to their worldview. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, you Occam's razor, right? The simplest explanation is is almost always the best one, right? So the simplest explanation in this situation is that a well-known malignant narcissist who is legendarily incompetent and corrupt behaved in a malignantly narcissistic and legendarily corrupt <laughs> way, right? But instead, they have to they have to gerrymander reality to comport with their vision because, again, and it is, and I know that you've mentioned this, I know David Pakman's mentioned this, I've mentioned this on my own channel, 
the republic the modern republican party particularly that maga freedom caucus animating core is for all intents and purposes and this is not a pejorative it is simply a statement of fact it is a cult it is a multi-million strong cult and i think the reason that so many of us struggle with that even i do from now from time to time because we, we, we watch fiction surrounding cult. cultures, something that fascinate the American people. We watch TV shows about them. We read books about them. There's history littered with them. And the idea that Donald Trump, this <laughs> the guy who hosted The Apprentice, would be not only the sitting president, but leading the biggest and arguably <laughs> most dangerous cult in the history, history. of this country is legitimately the just fired it's a guy. Somewhat, yeah. Yeah. It's You're fired, fun. guys. Yes, and he's the high prophet of this of this MAGA cult. But yeah, no, it, it's it's completely improbable what they're alleging. And setting aside, if you can get your head around that type of operation going on to take down Trump, there's no evidence. So even if it were probable, you would still have to have evidence, and that's not present. But the you reason know what there is evidence for though <laughs> the crimes he's being accused of. No, Luke. What that is, listen. There's no evidence of a conspiracy because and that's how you know there is a conspiracy the absence it's of a shape up. proves that the shit yes you see what i'm saying no. like we're seeing a void there man <gasps> it's proof of a conspiracy I talk, yes i talked to a guy and we probably talked it was just a 14 minute debate or something outside of the miami courthouse um and one of the things he kept coming back to was every time i would say but why don't you have evidence of the things you're talking about the election being stolen or uh trump being taken down he would say that's my point. Operations like this, criminal enterprises are really good at covering up the evidence. What? And I was trying to explain if we operated our society around that concept, then every accusation backed up by no evidence would be proof that the accusation was true. That makes no sense. I was trying to say to him, then I could say you're a murderer and you covered up all the evidence and I would be, you're saying credibly accusing you what are you talking about makes no sense uh but we got to move on you want to hit me with the next story yeah so bill barr that's donald trump's former attorney general and, it, it, and i'll say this as a reminder bill barr is a conservative heavyweight he is a conservative thought leader for decades now he was the attorney general under george hw bush he is a strong proponent of unitary executive theory which is this idea basically that within the executive branch the president is effectively a dictator can do whatever he wants whenever he wants with little to no checks and balances from the judiciary and congress so republican presidents really like that he basically auditioned for the role to become donald trump's attorney general after jeff sessions was fired and for the last two years of the trump administration he was a very effective attorney general in terms of protecting donald trump being donald trump's hatchet man undermining the conclusions of the Mueller report, empowering John Durham to look into the Russia investigation to try to find something that would benefit Trump. This man is a Republican whose bona fides, whose credentials are beyond dispute. And even as far as a few months ago, Luke, he was saying he would still vote for Donald Trump over any Democrat. Now, the reason I say all that is because, especially when news broke of this indictment, you know, the 38 
uh, charges, criminal charges that uh, Jack Smith, 37 felonies, then 38 charges total that Jack Smith is bringing against Donald Trump. Bill Barr has become even more outspokenly critical of Donald Trump. And there's some clips from a CBS interview that he conducted. I think it was even it was this just past Sunday. So very recently. And uh, you guys should hear what he has to say, because it's incredibly important. And do you believe that that he, he continues to claim that he has all these privileges and rights under the Presidential Records Act? Is he mischaracterizing the act? It, 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 absolutely. Uh, the legal theory by which he gets to take battle plans and, and sensitive national security information as his personal papers is absurd. It's just as wacky as the legal doctrine they came up with for you know having the vice president unilaterally determine who won the election. The whole purpose of the statute, the Presidential Records Act, is was to stop presidents from taking official documents out of the White House. It was passed after Watergate. That's the whole purpose of it. And therefore, it restricted what a president can take. It says it's purely private. That had nothing to do with uh, the uh, deliberations of government policy. Obviously, these documents are not purely private. It's, it's obvious. And they're not even now arguing that it's purely private. What they're saying is the president just has sweeping discretion to say they are, even though they squarely don't fall within the definition. It's an absurd argument. Do you believe if he is convicted, he should serve his prison sentence? Well, I don't, we haven't even gotten to the point of you know whether he's been convicted and also what his sentence should be. I, I, you know, I don't like the idea of a former president serving time in prison. Even there, he's... He ends by saying, but he doesn't think Trump should be in prison. Um, and of course, I think he shouldn't be put in prison. I think he should be, uh, you know, given his due process. And then if after a trial, that's his sentence, I wouldn't mind seeing him in prison. Yeah, it's interesting. So that that right there, and this this is the reason why, to me, and I think to some number of conservatives and Republicans, I say some, and we don't know what the numbers will be, but I think it's a relative minority. The, Bill Barr's words carry weight because, again, his credentials are beyond reproach. This man is a is an ideological conservative and a loyal Republican in a way that Donald Trump simply Donald Trump was a Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. That's why at the end of the day, Donald Trump's a fascist. He is not ideologically consistent at all. Don Bill Barr, on the other hand, is a tried and true conservative and Republican. And like you said, Luke, even at the end of that clip. He is so deferential to a Republican former president that he's like, I don't think Donald Trump should go to jail for it, even though, you know, Bill Barr would never, ever say anything like that about a civilian or a lower level government employee doing the same damn things that uh, Donald Trump is accused of doing. Right. I mean, it's, it's just it, there's some degree of deference being paid to Donald Trump that's totally unearned. But I love the fact that Bill Barr is debunking these arguments in real time. This idea that the documents that Donald Trump retained, which concern national defense, nuclear defense capabilities, yeah. the weaknesses of ourselves and our allies, those weren't personal information. That wasn't personal records. And the Presidential Records Act has no has no relevance to this. And it doesn't give a president carte blanche to just say anything he wants is, is a matter of private record, and he can take—it's absolutely stupid, even on its face. There's just, It's indefensible. And these strange arguments that are getting made. I think Trump does this thing where normally you either cite kind of evidence to back up your claim in some sort of debate or argument, um, or you try to 
avoid like what you'll see dishonest people do is avoid talking about evidence that contradicts your claim what trump does is he'll point at evidence that disproves his claim and say that proves my claim it's wild the presidential records act uh reading it yourself but also as was read to him during the cnn town hall to his face absolutely says the opposite of what he's alleging it does and he'll instead of going no 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 but i don't want to talk about the presidential records act i don't want to talk about whatever it might be here's what i'm saying it's all weaponization it's all political persecution this that and the other thing instead he goes no read it you see that you see how it says the exact opposite of what i'm about to say it says now i'm going to say that it says the exact opposite of what it actually right. says that it's square is a circle that's, that, yeah that square is a circle the square is a circle Look, I'm telling you, the grass is purple. The grass is, and then people hear it enough times, and they're rocking, thinking the grass is purple. It is, purple. it's purple grass. It's clearly it's purple grass, bonkers. yeah. bonkers. And then we're all sitting here being gaslit by millions of people staring at our eyes going, the grass is purple, the grass is purple. I'm thinking, I keep looking back at the grass, and it's green, and it's making me feel crazy. <laughs> but by the way, he's not being charged for violating the Presidential Records Act. He's being charged for all the different crimes I've read to you before. Yeah, willful retention of, of national defense information, uh, 31 charges. And then, to, yeah. yeah. And, but the, the interesting thing is, is while you're talking, and, and in my head, I think I've, and, and maybe you can help me refine this, but I almost think there's like three levels of Trump Republican apologia, whatever it is. The bottom level are these like very sophisticated legalese arguments, right? right. With very few <laughs> and far between in this situation. Then the second tier is just deflection, like you said. It's when a point is made, you just deflect. It's whataboutisms, Hillary's emails, whatever. And then you have the first tier, which is what Donald Trump engages in the most, which is it's not a deflection because a deflection, you know, you're at least trying to redirect or dodge the initial claim. Like you said, Donald Trump very often listens to a person state a fact, and then he just simply says, no, actually, the fact says the exact opposite. The Presidential Records Act, again, reading the raw text during a CNN town hall. And then, like you said, then nodding, looking the person dead in the eye and saying, yeah, exactly. It says exactly what it, what I said. <laughs> like, so it's like the first level is gaslighting that Donald Trump does. And then it's deflection, which more Republicans do than just Trump. And then the third one, which you never see, are these sophisticated legal arguments. In this situation, that third rung of Republican apologia just simply doesn't exist. It's just Republicans either trying to gaslight you or deflect and whataboutism. You know, it just seems to me that that's, that's what we're dealing with. Absolutely. Do we have more from this? We do. We have one other clip, which to me is, uh, again, I, I think the first clip was illustrative in the sense that it gave it was it was a legal expert from Bill Barr, whether you like it or not, legal expert and experienced attorney general debunking some of the legal claims regarding the Presidential Records Act. This second clip is a moral indictment of Donald Trump by Bill Barr, again, who is inclined to grade him on a curve in the first place, who gladly worked for him, who until recently said he was going to vote for him again. It's a moral indictment of a man who knows him. And I think people need to hear what Bill Barr has to say about who Donald Trump is and what Donald Trump would do if he gets the nomination and if he wins the presidency back in 2024. You say Trump's alleged... You say Trump's alleged conduct is indefensible. So many Republicans continue to defend him. What will it say if the party, your longtime party, puts him forward as their nominee? Well, that's the problem. I don't think they're actually defending his conduct, but they are saying it's unfair to prosecute him. But that then raises another question. Okay, if it's unfair to prosecute him, that's not the whole answer. 
The question is, should we be putting someone like this forward as the leader of the country, leader of the free world, who is engaged in this kind of conduct? The other thing is, this is not just an isolated example. Trump has, you know, has many good qualities and he accomplished some good things. But the fact of the matter is, uh, he is a consummate narcissist, and he constantly engages in reckless conduct that that puts uh, his political followers at risk and, and, and the conservative and Republican agenda at risk. Would he put the country at risk if he was in the White House again? He, he will always put his own interests and gratifying his own ego ahead of everything else, including the country's interests. There's no question about it. This is a perfect example of that. He's like, you know, he's like a nine-year-old, defiant nine-year-old kid who's always pushing the glass toward the edge of the table defying his parents to stop him from doing it. It's a means of self-assertion and exerting his dominance over other people. And he's, he's a very petty individual who will always put his interests ahead of the country's, his personal gratification of his, you know, of his ego. But our country, our country can't, you know, can't be a therapy session for, you know, a troubled man like this. Okay, I, I love that. Let me just, I need this to be said, so I'm going to say it. Bill Barr joined Trump's administration knowing the man that Trump was, served alongside him, dishonestly acted in Trump's interest. Bill Barr is not a good man who did good things. Right now, he's spitting facts there. That's true. Um, but it needs to be said that acting like, oh, I just realized all these things were true about Trump, even though he did more damage, of course, that pushed Bill Barr away, uh, supposedly. Um, and those damaging moments, January 6th, Trump's coup attempt, all that definitely were uh, kind of the climax of who Trump was. Hopefully we won't see something worse than that. But Bill Barr could have recognized that earlier. That's all I'm going to say. And also he's correct there. Yeah. So, so to me, to me, having the right judgment on Donald Trump is, I would argue, I think you could easily make the argument that being able to accurately and early assess Donald Trump is the ultimate political litmus test of judgment. So the idea that Bill Barr had no idea who and what Donald Trump was when he first wrote that letter in 2017, 2018, basically auditioning for the role of Trump's attorney general. If Bill Barr genuinely was agnostic on Donald Trump, had no idea what kind of man he was, then he's either a liar or an idiot. And Bill <laughs> Barr's clearly not an idiot. I, I think there is an abundance of evidence to the contrary. He's a liar. You know, this is a man who he went into Trump's orbit, I think, knowing full well, oh, man, Donald Trump, he's this dude's clearly corrupt. He's clearly an idiot. But, but, but Bill Barr Power. is such a company man. Yeah, he's Donald Trump is a sitting president. He's a Republican. Um, he has the Republican Party as beck and call. And I'm sure from Bill Barr's perspective, he's like, OK, I can I can help make Trump less Trump-like. I can curb Trump's excesses. I can use Trump's situation to further the agenda of the Republican Party, and somebody has to do it. And you, you, in in the wake of all the resignations and and departures of people from Trump's orbit, you've heard people say that. Well, listen, I thought I could, I thought I could moderate him. I thought I could Chris rein Christie, him in. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, what Bill Barr is professing there is nothing new. The implied surprise to find out that, that Donald Trump is a malignant narcissist—it's ridiculous. But I love the strong language, Luke. Like you said, he's spitting facts, and I think he's spitting it those facts in a very rhetorically effective way. 
you know, yeah. comparing Trump to a petulant child or, or even like a cat, you know, knocking the, <laughs> yeah. getting the glass over to the side when you're telling them not to. And how he refers, he says that the, we can't afford to make the country a therapy, therapy session yes. for Donald Trump. And yes. identifying, I think a lot of times people try to criticize Trump in ways that, Number one, don't actually affect people that much when they hear the criticism. And number two, because at this point, all the criticisms have been heard on the front of kind of the typical things you hear. Still good to say, but not as impactful. And also don't get under Trump's skin that much. But when you point out that he's an insecure child and all of this is just a chance, as you talk about often, for a narcissist to get this unfillable hole void in his soul filled and it won't work but he tries and tries and tries with this whole thing that's what this is he's insecure he's troubled and he's taking us down with them in his therapy session it's really unfortunate and also correct to call that out and i think it really bothers trump when that's accurately um, assessed because his whole brand is built around this idea somehow i don't know how to me he's gushing with insecurity when he talks but a lot of people see him as this kind of they would say alpha male very strange but that's his whole brand it's so important in his mind that he comes off strong and tough and he's the, the exact opposite the worst thing you can call trump the worst monosyllable word is weak and then mm -hmm. any synonym of weak, I think, are, are close seconds. So insecure, frail, you know, he is a nexus of weakness by any objective metric. I think if you polled 100 psychiatrists or psychologists from any political persuasion, the vast majority of them would say, yeah, this man has profound insecurity. And I like how you use the word void. He has tried to cram 50 states in the United States of America, which I think is in terms of landmass, like the second, third, or fourth biggest country on the planet, he's tried to cram this country into the void in his soul, and it's just a howling abyss. The, the United States cannot fill that hole, and there's, there's 340 million people whose priorities have to come first and not to soothe Donald Trump's wounded pride. Even you look at the, the indictment itself, Luke, it's littered with examples of Trump, who was the most powerful man in the world, feeling the need to justify himself and clout shark for oh, people who have a fraction of the celebrity and political importance. He just can't help it. You know, there's a there's a great show. The first four seasons of Game of Thrones, I think, can stand up to any. I don't know if you've watched it, but there's this great line mm -hmm. where they where a, a, a character says, any man who says I am the king is no true king. And Donald Trump is the exact opposite of that. He is no longer king, still feels the need to like tell him, tell himself and everybody that he was. It's just, it is, it, it's a disturbing level of insecurity. And again, for Bill Barr to come out and say, he will put his priorities over the Republican parties. And yes, the country, because he was asked point blank. So do you think he would put himself over the country? And Bill Barr says, yes. And now it makes you wonder, Luke, has Bill Barr gotten to the point where he would sooner vote for Joe Biden than Donald Trump, what do you think? Uh, I can't understand people such as Bill Barr, who way back when he was criticizing Trump's coup attempt, as one should, um, and saying in the next breath, but if a progressive is nominated, I couldn't vote for a progressive. Oh no, I'd have to vote for the coup attempter. Um, and interestingly, back to what we were talking about previously, and we, we talked in a different segment about 
isn't it strange that Trump, the apprentice guy, the reality TV star, whatever, that he was the one who was able to cultivate a cult, the likes of which we haven't seen and possibly ever in American history, size and magnitude and all that. Um, and same thing here where, isn't it crazy? The first time we see this type of coup attempt by a president trying to keep themselves in the White House despite losing, it was motivated by just a profound sensitivity. And that's why I try to, for the same reason, point that out when we talk about the 2020, 2021 debacle um, is yes, it was based on his own anti-democratic views in a sense and his own motivation to keep power. But at the core of it all, he was so sensitive, such a snowflake that he wasn't able to just accept he lost like all these other candidates have done in the past. And because of that, we almost watch him take American democracy down with him. No, a hundred percent. And um, it, it, the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is I don't think that Donald Trump has displayed a limiting principle for the lengths he'll go to. I mean, we've seen videos and we've discussed it in previous segments. This is a man who if he, you know, if he gets the White House back, which at this point is a very dangerously real possibility, there's no limiting principle, right? Because he's talked about trying to, you know, revoke uh, birthhood citizenship for uh, you know, the children of immigrants. He's talked about creating Schedule F employee categorization, which would basically let him fire the federal bureaucracy. So people, you know, who are bipartisan, people who've worked under Republican administrations loyally and faithfully who disagree with him or some sort of a check Anthony on his Fauci. power. Like Dr. Fauci, you know, the corrupt Dr. Fauci who worked for Donald Trump, again, dutifully and loyally and tried desperately to make Donald Trump less of an idiot. Like that's how loyal Fauci was to the sitting president where he, you know, I, you could easily make the argument in terms of Donald Trump's various gaffes and deceits on COVID. Fauci went out of his way to try to smooth them over for Trump's own benefit. Mm -hmm. But he wants to make all those people at will employees. And we know he would fire people left, right and center. He thought about the guy, Jeff Clark. For those of you who don't know that name, that was the guy who was telling Trump, listen, you actually the, the vice president has the power to just unilaterally overturn the results of an election. Donald Trump was going to make him the attorney general after Bill Barr, the guy we just watched, resign. <sighs> And the only reason that didn't happen was because Republican and Democratic Justice Department officials threatened to resign en masse and basically cripple DOJ leadership. And that was the only thing that got Donald Trump to back off. Imagine if he gets a second term, Luke, that threat may not do anything for him. He might be like, sure, go ahead, resign. I'll fill you with some other sycophant. I'll make and, Kellyanne yeah. Conway, Sebastian Gorka, Don Jr., Eric. There's no telling. <laughs> we might live in a world where Don Jr. is the, the you know, the uh, attorney general. You don't know. You don't oh, know. I'm laughing because I don't cry. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, I will say, just to wrap this up, <laughs> you mentioned earlier, he said, uh, and I wanted to touch on it, you know, either in a situation where you don't recognize who Trump is and the danger that he poses, you're either a liar or an idiot. That should be a game, like a board game you can play about American politics. A liar or an idiot. <laughs> Bring around the family. <laughs> and it's just, um, it is, it's just, it's just Murkowski and Bill Barr, or not Murkowski, uh, Susan Collins or Bill Barr on the cover of this, like the, the board game itself. <laughs> Li American politics edition, liar or idiot. Liar <laughs> or an idiot. Yeah. Oh, good. My Milton Bradley. <laughs> well, uh, we charge forward with today's wild show. I didn't get a chance to talk about um, 
Josiah, the first round of clips from the interview between Gavin Newsom and Sean Hannity, where Gavin Newsom just, just, what's the word? Eviscerates, obliterates, smashes, Steam crushes, steamrolls. Steam I mean, he did all the above. Uh, Sean Hannity on his own show. It's so good to watch. Whatever your issues are with Gavin Newsom, he takes. Uh, what's the phrase? Hannity to town to task? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He takes him somewhere, and it's not good for Hannity. It's not good for Hannity. And Hannity <laughs> does not want to be where Newsom took him. That's all yeah, I'll say. Absolutely. Um, and round two of this interview clips have started to be um, broadcasted or whatever. And I want to take a look at a couple from that, starting with this. This is the honest way to be the fourth largest economy in the world. What are you arguing for? Mississippi's economic policy? Is that, I mean, literally, that's if what you're, you're asking, asking me. For. If I wanted the great if I wanted the Kansas tax, policy, I mean, it was a debacle. No economic is, growth. 71% of the GDP in America are blue counties. I would take their... 71% of the GDP in America are blue counties. Progressive policies. Okay, that are paying high taxes. And 71% of the country's wealth. Seven of the top 10 dependent states are you're right. States. Let's say you. No, been, we're subsidizing your states, Sean. Not sub- because of your policies. I'm in New York. You're not subsidizing anything for me. But your philosophy. I'm getting the hell out of New York, though. I'm, I, Mississippi, Alabama. Uh, I'm all for it over over New York or California. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I love Mississippi. But what you say, Governor? I'm, I'm sure. Look, this is not personal. No, none of it. But the point this is the. I think because of. <laughs> I think because of Democrats' fear of offending Republicans. And in saying that red states perform uh, far worse in all of these different metrics, it would it, it could come off like you're saying that something's wrong with the people, which is not what is being said. It's actually about the governance and trying to convince the people to get out the bad governors, um, not just the governor, but those who are governing. And I wish more Democrats could do what Gavin Newsom's doing here and what you and I have tried to do many times, which is say, we don't need to have Honestly, all of these conversations that we have to have on a daily basis about all Democrats, Republicans, just look at the receipts, look at a state by state comparison and federally under different administrations and uh, congresses. But let's talk about state to state comparisons. Something Josiah and I have talked about a lot is undeniably on all these different metrics, education, uh, infrastructure, poverty, whatever it might be, blue states disproportionately perform way better and sean hannity goes yeah but they have high taxes (laughs) okay what if everyone's better off though (laughs) right so it's it's that clip yeah that was not part of the initial 30 minute um first half i guess that that uh hannity released three four or five days ago and i'm excited to see it makes me think that round two like the 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 latter half hour might even be better than the first so actually (laughs) hannity might have staged a marketing coup here I, i will say this um we talked about and this is one of the recurring theses i don't know if if people i don't know if political commentators should have like particular theses like things that they want to hit again and again and again but i do whether we like it or not there are things that i think in terms of political messaging political points that i want to make as someone who studied politics somebody who has been you know active in like you know uh, canvassing and other things like that who has tried to do or participate in groundwork there are some theses that i think are really important and one of them is the asymmetry of expectation and you've heard me use that phrase even on the luke beasley show in the past because it's really important Republicans 
conservative thought leaders are graded on a curve. They can say the most salacious, uh, horrifying things about progressives, liberals, blue cities, blue states. It doesn't matter. They can call them all kinds of you know, adjectives that had a Democrat said even a semblance of that uh, with respect to red cities, red states, or whatever. We'd be castigated not only by the mainstream media, but also, or excuse me, not only by conservative media, but mainstream media as well. President Biden could never go and refer to West Virginia the way that Donald Trump and other Republicans have referred to New York or California. That asymmetry has to be ruthlessly crushed, and you and I and everybody watching can play a role in it. Yep. Facts are facts. Remember, that facts don't care about your feelings, gang. If that's the case, then let's talk facts, and we can do it without casting aspersions on the dignity of the constituents that live in these states. So full disclosure, I grew up in Kentucky, in rural Kentucky. I, I My family members and friends, many of them are conservative Republicans who vote for Trump and would vote for Trump again. I don't have to cast aspersions or make an indictment on the character of those people. What I can do, though, is rightly criticize the failures of the policies of the people in charge in those red rural states. And that is simply a fact. And facts don't care about your feelings. And the fact of the matter is the, the most the states that are most impoverished, least educated, least healthy and most reliant on federal subsidies are conservative run Republican states. That's a fact. And you need to be aware of that. And conservative voters need to be made aware of that because they so often vote against their own interests. That's not to say the blue states are perfect. That's not to say that there are probably areas in which blue states could learn certain things from red states as well. But in terms of the metrics that conservatives and Republicans claim to care about, Luke— Blue states, blue counties. And we didn't even mention them. You're exactly right. We didn't even mention the study that was done in 2020 when you look at uh, states, because this reflects usually the statewide uh, governing two uh, that voted for Trump versus Biden. Homicide rates 40 percent higher in the states that voted for Trump. So red states, 40 percent higher homicide rate crime as well. When you look at uh, high crime, you know, state, so many of them disproportionately are red and yeah. somehow because of the machine that is Fox News, right-wing media, the GOP, the branding convinces people that aren't even, some of them aren't even on the right. I know people who are liberals who go, because of my passion for helping people, I support the Democratic Party, but I know Republicans are better for the economy. And then it's not true. It's just not factually true. Uh, and he mentioned not. the Kansas, well, I'm blanking, Kansas experiment. Is that what it's referred to as? I think Where so, yeah. The, uh, it failed. The trickle-down economic uh, policy that is constantly pushed for fails over and over again. Again, but again, But somehow, again. branding gets the GOP a chance to do it again and again. It makes no sense. Uh, let's watch a second clip from this interview. And it is a beautiful location. Yeah. And I would argue respectfully, Governor. Okay. And if it weren't for the taxation, the regulation, if it weren't for the high cost of living, if it weren't for quality of life issues that we're discussing, yeah. if more conservative principles were applied yeah. on law and order, uh, on the economy, have higher on less redistribution, which you seem to support, I would imagine wealthy companies and people would be less inclined to leave. No. You would disagree? Yeah. I mean, look at the facts. On our way to be the fourth largest economy in the world. 
This belies all of that rhetoric, everything you just said. The, Look well, at the progress the migration, of the state. Wait, but the migration Ten, numbers don't, don't belie they that? Were, they were anomalous in the last few years, and they've already slowed down. There's been three independent studies, Sean. You should take a look at them, including a brand new one from UCLA that has talked about okay. fundamental reasons. You're asking me to you look at a UCLA study? Know, but the point Seriously? Is, but my point is, why don't we make it UC I'm Berkeley? interested in the facts, not no. the assertions. I mean, again, we were number 10 on that list. You didn't talk mm. about all those red states that have opposite policies that you embrace. Something clearly is not working right in those states. Which states? Mississippi. You've got Louisiana, West Virginia, that all had higher population loss. I'm happy to engage, mm -hmm. continue. You're talking on a per capita basis. I'm talking on a per capita basis. But the, By the way, I don't know what else matters. There's more it, Floridians moving to California than Floridians that, have, uh, that, have been, okay. that came from California. But if you look at the cost capita. of a U-Haul. I wish we could see more of that. It's so annoying. This is one thing that in a situation where just undeniably it's so clear on every single metric that the Democratic Party is far better than the GOP, except for the way that they interact with the other party. The GOP goes too far, of course, but the Democrats need to get some of that aggression, not promoting violence or anything like that, but getting some of the passion that you'll see from GOP politicians. And Democrats often, because they have this, they want to be civil, which I respect, but this moment doesn't call for complete civility politics and knew some without even being rude just laid down some facts and then Hannity's left saying completely incoherent things and trying to talk about you know absolute numbers versus per capita numbers how is that relevant comparing states ever yeah uh, when you have states with wildly different population size <laughs> per cap there's a reason that every statistician in the world again conservative liberal doesn't matter has always used per capita per yeah. capita is an infinitely more reliable metric because it's the only thing that can equate to disparate uh you know points of comparison so yeah where he was like well raw numbers you know you're talking about per capita and just kind of like shrugs at it but here here's the thing the reason that this interview is so important and and, and i said before in my coverage when i covered the first half of this on my channel um i'm not going to sit here and say that debating which is what this is this is not really an interview i mean it's partially an interview but it mutates very rapidly into a debate i'm not saying that that's the single most important quality to have in a chief executive in, in, in a governor or in a president. there You've got to have judgment, administrative skills, the ability to negotiate. There's so many things that go into it. But I do think that this energy and this debate prowess lends itself well to the Democratic Party in general. And because Newsom isn't running for president, I'm glad that he's leading the charge in this. He has made it a point. He has made it his mission to be a progressive counterweight to governors DeSantis and Abbott in Republican states. These are highly prominent, high-profile culture warriors that like to sling mud and duke it out and talk smack about blue states and Democrats. And Newsom isn't necessarily going as far as they do rhetorically. He's not insulting the way that they do, but he has basically made it his mission where, no, I'm going to be a counterweight to this. I'm going to go nose to nose with Ron DeSantis and with Greg Abbott. I'm going to tell their own constituents. I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to pay for billboards and messaging campaigns. I'm going to point out to their constituents, your governors are stupid and corrupt and they're failures. They are failing you, Texas. They are failing you, Florida. And I'm going to get in their face the way that, quite frankly, most other Democrats simply refuse to do. Yeah. 
We have brilliant governors in the Democratic Party, J.D. Pritzker, Gretchen Whitmer, and they produce great results for their state. But they, they are so focused on their states that they, they don't take advantage very often of the national platform. DeSantis is trying to do both. He's trying to produce for California and also shore up an obvious... I'm sorry? You call him DeSantis? Yeah, Newsom. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't, we did, we, no, definitely Newsom. He's trying to do both. He's simultaneously trying to... Newsom is trying to do both. He's trying to produce for California, but he's also trying to be a counterweight to DeSantis and Abbott in a messaging way to fire up the Democratic base, to fire up young progressives. And I think to feed people like you and I and, and millions of others who, who want that energy from Democrats, you don't have to be insulting. You don't have to be inhumane, but you can be assertive. You can reject false premises. You can go on Sean Hannity's show and say, listen, I'm not going to let you steamroll me. I'm taking control of the conversation. And that's what Governor Newsom does here. He doesn't accept Newsom's false premise. He'll allow him to get the question out, but then he'll say, listen, we're not going further until I crush the false premise here. And it's it's Hannity who's constantly giving ground in this conversation. That energy we do need to see more of from the Democratic Party. We absolutely do. And You've said it before, uh, facts, people say facts speak for themselves. They clearly don't because facts seem to fail so often in these settings and Trump's pointing at the grass saying it's purple seems to convince a lot of people. But it is about messaging too. Sometimes people, I think, believe that focusing a lot on branding and messaging makes you more shallow, less nuanced in touch with the, the meaningful, impactful issues, which your motivation for the fight should be from a deep place of understanding and of caring about pushing forward good policies. But then you got to take that and you got to outbrand and outmessage the GOP honestly, accurately, but effectively. And facts don't speak for themselves. You have to speak truth to power if you want to word it that way. You have to make sure people are aware of the facts. And there, Sean Hannity is doing just this bizarre thing where he's going, no, I hear you that you're crushing it on all these metrics. Not that there aren't massive problems in California. Of course, there are. Um, but when you compare that state, its economy to other economies, it's doing so well. And so many blue states are as well. And Hannity will go, yeah, but I hear you. But that's because of other reasons, which, of course, it's not just who's in power that affects a state. But he'll say it would be even better if you did the policies of the states that are doing the worst right now. What? And he was like, I would love to live in Arkansas and Mississippi only because now you're really rich and you would have to pay less taxes taxes i guess but number one you would have not been as likely to get as wealthy as you are you want to have had the uh, resources and support and community um that is governed properly to make that happen you wouldn't be as likely at least and also no. it's it's the proof is in the pudding but somehow we ignore the pudding constantly look at the pudding people well and even man even the even the niche cherry picking of certain stats. So Hannity keeps going back to, you know, the the what he calls like a mass exodus out of California, people leaving California in raw numbers, not per capita, because then it sinks his battleship, <laughs> right? Raw numbers of people leaving California. Well, California still by far, and it's not going to change anytime soon, the most populous state in the United States, number one. Number two, why does that statistic matter as much or more as the fact, the statistics, the sobering statistic that California is the fifth biggest economy in the world and potentially the fourth at the rate it's currently going? You would think, just again looking at it, that that's an infinitely more impressive statistic 
than whatever negative you think is associated with people choosing to leave, leave California. And listen, like you said, California is far from perfect. No state is perfect, you know, and it is very expensive because in, so many in, people in large areas. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, I mean, like, that's a perfectly valid reason for people to leave California yeah. if they think it's too expensive. Fair enough. You want to criticize it if you think that Newsom's not doing enough to curb that. But the fact of the matter is, okay, well, well, what else? What are there positive statistics associated with his governorship? Yes, it's about to be the fourth biggest economy in the world. That's insane. That's a ludicrously impressive statistic that I don't think Hannity mentions one time. I don't think Hannity acknowledges it. He literally ignores it, I, I'm pretty sure, and just goes back to what about migration? What about migration? What about migration to other states? And as Newsom points out, it, it, number one, it's an anomalous statistic. And number two, again, if you adjust for per capita, red states, there are many red states which saw a population exodus, if that's what the word that we're going to use, since that's what Hannity uses all the time, um, that, that puts Californians to shame. So Newsom, and he's here's the other thing that's great about Newsom compared to many others. Not only do facts not speak for themselves, and, and Newsom recognizes the facts don't speak for themselves, so he's going to do it. But he has a quick recall of the facts. This is a man who is yeah. incredibly well-learned on the relevant statistics, the relevant facts accordingly. And that in and of itself is a talent, Luke. Like, you and I are pretty well-studied in this, too. And I think we would struggle, you know, let alone Sean Hannity. But if we were put on the spot, like, some of this, like, it all jumbles together. And, is it and 70% Newsom, or 80? Yeah, totally. Yeah, just it's just, it's so good. And it's not just, like, a recitation of facts. He's able to weave it together in a coherent point um, in an argument. It's I will an incredible say, skill. in engaging with people in these types of situations, the thing that makes it easy, and you could tell Newsom before the interview kind of i imagine uh refreshed himself on some of these stats because you know exactly the talking points that are going to pop up every time and uh, on this whole migration thing number one we've seen shifts in population constantly and different trends um from red states as well and it seems to be slowing down but also it is true california i lived there very briefly briefly very expensive as many people know it makes sense that if a bunch of people move to a place, it gets outrageously expensive. Some people are not going to want to live there anymore. We'll have the ebbs and the flows. But what you want to look at is what is the state of still while that's happening, economic growth and all these different indicators within California, businesses being created. He was um, bringing that up a lot because there's this idea that all businesses moving out, they're afraid of California. It's not accurate. It's exploding with business. Um and then there's some high profile examples of, oh, the Tesla headquarters moved or something. So and in the case of, I'll, I'll point out in the case of Tesla, because they love to do this. I don't think in, in that situation in particular, I don't think you can entirely discount, you know, Elon Musk's political agenda playing yeah, a role totally. in that decision as well. That, that's not entirely a fiscal or fiduciary calculus on the part of Elon Musk to, to move Tesla out of California to Texas. And the point he made was, it actually makes sense. If you get so humongous that then it would benefit you financially to not have your headquarters there, still tons of Tesla jobs, but um, to do certain things like that. Still, clearly California is creating the landscape that is really good for entrepreneurship, my goodness. Um, and that's why so many businesses are getting created. And then moving to other states and bringing money and jobs and all of that to uh, other states. What a gift that California is providing to all these red states that might get companies after they start in California. That's but. a that is a great point that that I'll be honest with you until Newsom said something to that effect it never crossed my mind yeah. to point that out. I mean it, it is. It, you could make the argument that California's vibrant economic landscape 
empowered and afforded these companies the opportunity to basically be successful in other states as well. They needed California to get their head start. And now that they have it, now they have the full economic liberty to avail themselves of the 49 other states <laughs> with perhaps um, a more um, a more lenient tax system for them, because obviously most companies don't want to pay taxes. They want to avoid any tax payout they possibly can. So they benefit from from the the rich, vibrant economic ecosystem that is California. And then once they're able to succeed, they're able to pack it off and go wherever else they want to go. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. You want to uh, go forward with our next story? Yeah. So, okay. We, we got to turn back to, to Donald Trump. Obviously the biggest single political news story um, in, in certainly in the past year. And depending on how it goes, I think you'd easily make the case in terms of our legal system. One of the most important uh, legal cases in the history of the United States, which is the federal indictment of Donald Trump for the willful retention of national defense information, and then the, you know, the subsequent charges of obstruction and conspiracy. And as Luke and I have discussed on this channel and on other channels and in private, we're not, this is not even, I think, the midpoint. I still think that we're in the preliminary parts. You still have the, the pending cases coming out of Georgia. You have the other prong of the Jack Smith investigation in terms of Trump's involvement with January 6th. This is just the beginning of Donald Trump's legal woes. Buckle the reason up. we have to, yeah, the reason we have to turn back to that is we have to address, we have to continuously address how the Republican Party is under damage. They're desperate to deflect and distract from Donald Trump's legal woes, and they're throwing everything. They're going with the greatest hits, you know, Clinton, Hillary's emails, uh, Bill Clinton's sock drawer with with tapes of interviews. Um, I'm sure they'll try to figure out a way to invoke President Obama's birth certificate as well. It wouldn't surprise me. But here we have Ronna McDaniel, who is not a particularly high-profile Republican in terms of household name, but she's very important because she is the chairwoman of the Republican National Convention. She's enormously powerful, and she's ultimately in charge of the re-election campaigns of various Republicans and setting up the debates and whatever. So she's very prominent, very powerful. And she did an interview with Caitlin Collins on CNN. Caitlin Collins, of course, being the, the host of the CNN town hall for President Trump um, a, a couple of months ago or whenever it was. I want you to watch this clip because Luke and I have discussed gaslighting and deflection and whataboutism. And Ronna McDaniel combines all of them mm. in a beautiful, you know, half a minute clip. So let's watch it and then unpack it incredibly divided country and when Republicans feel like there's one system of justice for them and a different for Democrats there's one standard for Hillary Clinton and a different for Donald Trump it doesn't help bring our country together and but the allegations an are president. not the same for Hillary Clinton we, without defending you know, because she never was investigated she never was, she was investigated. investigated she had a bleach bit server she had a bleach bit she destroyed phones but she was and, investigated and, and we very famously had you know the FBI director at the, the same time level. talking about I, that but, is but it, Caitlin, isn't that because of the level of the allegations is different? She had 22 top secret documents. Trump had 17. It, it, that in, a, in and of itself, she had were emails that were classified at the time that, that weren't later on. He was holding on to U.S. nuclear secrets. 
information about U.S. allies I haven't seen and their the process play out, and he hasn't had a chance to defend himself. But we know this. We know that she didn't get indicted. We know her home wasn't raided. We know his was. We also know we have a president in Joe Biden who isn't addressing the American people in a time of crisis, a deeply divided country. I think a former president being indicted is a time of crisis. And to not hear from our president, to have Joe Biden hiding again and not bringing people together is very disconcerting. So we'll I, let I, the process play out, but I will say- Bleach bit. Bleach bit. She bleach bit. <laughs> she bleach she bit. had bleach bit, Luke. Case closed and interview. <laughs> the talking point. I'm so number one. She wasn't investigated. Are you kidding me? News to me, man. There's 13 different investigations every week about like Lyndon back then. And then the other thing, um, and sometimes when you investigate something, you find out there wasn't criminal intent. There's no need to charge them. That could have happened with Trump, and maybe uh, it will in some of the other cases. Uh, unlikely. But then. To say that somehow Biden's in the wrong for not speaking out, you know how mad they would be if he came out and was like, yeah, Trump's been indicted. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> they would be like, oh, the thing he did with his left eye when he was talking indicates that he's saying Merrick Garland should do worse things to Trump. Why was his left eye? Of course it would be the left, the left eye. And oh, then, it, then it would be like an Alex Jones Marxist fascist communist. <laughs> Joe then, Biden's left eye is such a Marxist, communist, <laughs> socialist, fascist eye. I've never seen a left eye blink that this way. This talking point of, well, listen, after Caitlin Collins just boom, 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 knocks down her points, she goes, well, listen, here's what we know. Hillary Clinton, she wasn't indicted. <laughs> and Biden's not being indicted. Yeah, that's not how it works. It's not just, oh, the universe says if a member of the GOP is indicted, a Democrat has to be indicted just to kind of equal it out. Evidence matters, Rana. Yeah, so, yeah, there's so much. It's a minute-long clip, and there's just, like, again, that's why I mean it's so fascinating because, number one, again, even though she's not a high-profile name, like she's not a household name, Ronna McDaniel is incredibly important to the Republican Party. And by the way, her win-loss ratio is terrible. terrible. Even like people like Ben Shapiro, again, my, but my wife's a doctor gang, even Ben Shapiro's like, get this woman out of this position because she has presided over so many Republican defeats since she took the, ch the uh, chairpersonship of the Republican National Convention. And um, I hope her I hope her loss record continues for the foreseeable future. But she packs you know so it's many... more about Trump. But sorry, go. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, it, it is. It's it's um, because Ronna McDaniel has uh, hitched her wagon, so to speak, to Trump. Yeah. He is the the anchor. Right? He is the thing that is sinking her win loss record because she just will not. <laughs> you know, cut bait mm -hmm. and move on. She refuses to do it. And and you see it here. I mean, deflection, gaslight, revisionist history. It's it's everything in here. So a, a couple of things. Let's talk about the Hillary Clinton stuff. Quick fact check. As Caitlin Collins pointed out, Hillary Clinton was investigated. That's a fact. That's not a matter of opinion. That's just a fact. Anyone who says otherwise is either ignorant or a liar. Number one, she had, there were like 30, literally 30, 33, I think, Benghazi hearings, which is which were the hearings that precipitated the email controversy. She was investigated for three years by the Department of Justice, three years uh, for those that the, the email situation, the investigation was closed. Then it was reopened. It was announced to be reopened days before the election. And most people, most conservative and liberal scholars agree that that was a major factor in suppressing turnout and cost her the 2016 election. Hillary Clinton was investigated. It was determined that there was insufficient evidence of criminal intent to move forward with a compelling prosecution. Nowhere did they say or even hint. 
It's because she's a Democrat that we're choosing not to prosecute. There's no reason for that. Most of the Repu the FBI is populated by conservatives and Republicans and has only ever been led by Republicans, number one. Number two, um, the, the um, classified part. Okay, so Donald Trump is not being indicted for having classified or even top secret documents. He is being indicted on 31 counts of the willful retention of classified, uh, or excuse me, of national defense information. That's what she's being, yeah, he's being indicted for, 31 counts of that. And we have him on tape, unlike Hillary Clinton, publicly saying that, um, you know, he's he could have declassified these documents, but chose not to. He's showing them to people. We have no analog for Hillary Clinton in that respect. And well, then finally, yeah. the third thing I just want to say, mm. they are mad that President Biden is not falling into their trap, Luke. Like you said, it's a catch-22. If Biden speak, if Biden even acknowledges this, it, they will tar and feather him as divide. If he just said the fact, yeah, I heard Donald Trump was indicted, they'd be like, why is... Why is Joe Biden? Who is he you know, hearing this from? Yeah. And why is he getting involved with this, Luke? Why is the yeah. sitting president making comments? He's supposed to distance himself. And here he he is acknowledging that Donald Trump has been indicted. And then if he doesn't speak, <sighs> yeah. you know, he, he, he is contributing to the divisiveness. So I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't even know how you begin to unpack this. But at least uh, bravo for Caitlin Collins attempting to fact check Ronna McDaniel. But yeah. Uh, and uh, there was this one clip where. I'm pretty sure Biden's sitting somewhere after giving a speech or some event and they ask about Trump's legal troubles and he just smiles as if to say, of course, I'm not going to answer that. And that was a controversy in right wing media. Look at him. He's taunting Trump. He's he's indicating that he actually is, co you know, uh, coordinating all of this. Y you can't win. But also back to the Hillary thing. The other big difference is, and I'm pretty sure I've talked about, you've talked about, we've talked about, someone's talked about, the reporting that reveals if Trump, even after committing crimes and keeping the classified material, knowing that he shouldn't have any keeping it and all of that, the DOJ was kind of just wanting him, like, can you just give it back and we can call it a day? Um, that was their hope, was that he would just turn back over the documents, it wouldn't get too criminal, and then they could just um, resolve it without that's not even. I, I want to point out, Luke, to your point, that's not even speculation. That's a fact. So Donald Trump, during the course of this back and forth with the National Archives and the Justice Department in the preliminary parts, he turned over, he surrendered 197 documents, yes. and he is not being indicted on anything Thank for those you. documents because yes. he gave them back they so, could have charged him with illegal possession they could have charged him with they didn't they were like just give us it give us it back please and they could have opened up to see if he knowingly was keeping them with the knowledge that he was keeping it out of the hands but they just wanted it to be resolved and then for months after that he continued to obstruct continued to lie to authorities and that is where you just can't even bring and stop letting people do it not that we have control over what they say but um bring hillary and biden into this both of them negligent with their handling of classified material or sensitive material whatever it was negligent in not making sure the proper either in the case of hillary it was being communicated through the proper channels and through um for biden turned over at the proper time but that stuff happens investigate it sure big ocean wide difference between that and having the criminal intent knowing that you're trying to keep these documents away from federal authorities that you're not supposed to have they're asking for them to the point where the only way they can get them back is to raid your home just 
completely separate. Um, and if Trump did not just what Biden and Hillary did, but more than that, in just keeping these for months, so many knowing that he shouldn't have them, still that first batch he's not being indicted for that they got back without having to raid. It was the second batch that it's like, okay, now we're having to raid your home. This is criminal. Um, and it shows you he's being treated at what I said previously is he should be grateful at yes. how uh, kindly the DOJ has been treating him. No, so there is a great article, and I'll link you to it, even just like for private reading, it's great. It's in the, the I think, in New York magazines, nymag.com, and they wrote a really compelling article in the Intelligencer, which is like their political section, about how Donald Trump, there is a Donald, there is a double standard with the Trump-Biden-Hillary situations, and it actually favors Donald Trump that, that he is actually the beneficiary of a double standard from the Department of Justice, because you look at, again, the kid gloves with which he was treated, um, even compared, I would argue, to Hillary Clinton. Sure, she wasn't indicted in the end, but there was because there was insufficient evidence to make the case. In terms of the ruthlessness of the investigation, um, they didn't hesitate with Hillary Clinton. Again, 33 Benghazi hearings, a, a three-year DOJ investigation, all these things, and, and public scandal after public scandal after public scandal. The DOJ was desperate to avoid any of this with Donald Trump. And they point out that the the again over the 197 documents that he turned over, um, he's not being charged for them. He's not being indicted for them, even though they probably had sufficient basis to at least consider it. Um, but also the fact that Merrick Garland, with a fraction of the basis, also put a, a special prosecutor onto President Biden. Yeah, it, Donald Trump had to had to sin in enormous ways to get a special counsel from Attorney General Garland. And so it's so funny, even the sitting <laughs> president, Joe Biden, Merrick Garland's own boss is being graded harsher by Merrick Garland and being held to a higher standard by Merrick Garland than Donald Trump is. That's a fact. Donald Trump is the beneficiary it, of a double standard. Okay. Yes. It's crazy because you know normally they'll say there's a double standard with our Department of Justice, with our a criminal justice system, whatever. And most people who are reasonable will say there is, but it's the powerful versus the not powerful, right? Well-connected people, influential people often aren't held to the same standard as um, your average um, person. And that's true. And also, I think we could respond and say there is a double standard and it is political, but it favors Republicans because it's true. And the crazy thing is, you know, Democrats, plenty of flaws, all of that. But in this moment, poor Democrats, because they'll get slapped left, right and forward over everything by the left just to prove how not biased the left is. Mainstream media does this, uh, you know, Biden breathes weirdly and all of a sudden it's a controversy everywhere and we do need to consider the right's feelings on how biden uh, breathed weirdly and anything that's slightly wrong they do let's investigate it all the way and then you have to shoot someone on fifth avenue for the liberal you know part of the country to care about what you do if you're a republican oh. yeah so the, the last thing i want to say on this too like here's some some additions consider this because i brought this up in, in debates and conversations with other people Luke, I don't know if you know this, but it seems like every time a Democrat is investigated, it has to be by a Republican. And what do I mean by that? So Robert Herr, the special counsel investigating President Biden, is himself a Republican. Mm -hmm. Ken Starr, the special prosecutor who investigated President Clinton, 
was a Republican. So Republicans investigate Republicans and Democrats because Robert Mueller, who investigated the, the Russiagate situation, was a Republican. So that's that's another asymmetry. Anytime a, a Democrat or a Republican have to be investigated, everybody appoints <laughs> a Republican to do it. Can you yeah. imagine? Imagine if Merrick Garland had said, you know what? I'm going to appoint a Democrat to investigate President Biden if I'm going to appoint anyone at all. And I'm also going to have a Democrat appointed to investigate Donald Trump and, and basically flip it and be like, you know what? We're going to we're going to have Democrats investigate everybody. Republicans have. It's so frustrating. They this country, its political and civic structures benefit the right to an absurd degree. And even on like a procedural basis, when it comes to special counsels, <laughs> we still grade them on a curve. We still treat them with kid gloves. They still get whatever they want. They get yeah. everything just so we can avoid the evidence or the appearance of impropriety. Meanwhile, you have a Trump appointed judge presiding over this case. <laughs> imagine, imagine, imagine. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine that, that Biden or Obama or Clinton were the defendant in a case and the person, the judge presiding over that case was appointed by them. <laughs> the right would be, I mean, they're, they're seceding from the union again. And, oh. and, and she, by the way, is obligated to recuse herself because it was, it's, I think it's 28 code, U.S. Code Section 455 say that a judge must recuse if a reasonable, even if there's no ev evidence of impartiality, but even if a reasonable person can question impartiality, a judge just to avoid the evidence of impropriety or the appearance of impropriety should recuse herself. She won't even do that. I mean, just like it's so. Yeah, we, and, we and we all fall to. into it because my little, you know, liberal self am over here thinking, you know, it might be good that a Trump appointed judge is, is overseeing it so that there's no evidence of this being sure. political. No, you know what? No, I, I want a Biden appointed judge yeah. who's the most liberal in the country to oversee Trump. I don't care because here's the thing. Okay, no, I, I do. When Trump is eventually held accountable, it's going to be nice to say, look at all these examples of how Republicans were in the mix and it wasn't at all some Democratic effort to take him down. But the petty part of me wants to just completely play the same game they play. They don't care at all. It doesn't matter what Biden does, Merrick Garland. There's no world in which Trump is held accountable, even if every single thing was done by the book as it is being done now, where they don't, where they, they'll just, no matter what, they'll say that this is all political bias. And that's exactly why, because because I'm I'm with you, Luke. We you and I are guilty of this to an extent, even as we rail against it. We have internalized and accepted, on some level, we the have. asymmetries which benefit the right and conservatives in this country that we take it for granted, and that even at times we try to justify it to ourselves and others. Like, yeah, you know what? Actually, you know what? Let's let's keep a Trump appointed judge because if and when he's held accountable, then that'll mean something. It actually won't because, as you pointed out. I, and I'm not I'm not saying an absolute. She's not going to be a rhino deep state, whatever. Exactly. I'm not saying that there aren't people that there aren't some 10, 20, 100, 1000. I'm not saying that there aren't people in this country who will not who would not be persuaded um, of a conviction of Donald Trump by a Trump appointed judge that will persuade some people. But I think that's within the margin of error in terms of where people are in this country politically. I think the people who are stalwartly defending Trump even now are not going to be moved in sufficient numbers to accept the results simply because Aileen Cannon is a Trump appointed judge. Meanwhile, there is a severe danger to the case that she poses because at certain points, jeopardy 
you know, attaches to the case. So if she were to dismiss charges, you know, Jack Smith couldn't appeal it, right? Because mm. jeopardy implies. So, so, so there, we take it, we, ta- we are basically like competitors in a sport. We're like, you know what? Actually, yeah, the other team should also be the refs too. We, we you know, <laughs> no, no, they should we not. And, and yeah. the uh. other, this from what this reminds me of, we get on these rants. Apologies if you wanted a short segment <laughs> um, that I can't stop myself. It reminds me of constantly, even Again, quote unquote, liberal media will ask these types of questions and play into this narrative of structural things where uh, conservatives will say all of our institutions, they have this liberal bias. Everything's set up to benefit liberals and Democrats, they don't want to hear the voice of Republicans. They don't allow that part of the country to be heard. What are you talking about? Structural? Right now, our federal government does every single thing structurally to benefit and to make the voice as loud as possible of the more conservative part of the country. A great example of this is um, when you combine the Electoral College and the Senate, that makes the voice gargantuous of the conservative part of the country. We have a situation where California, with its millions of people, still people, I'm not coming out... (laughs) Uh, for any reforms right now, but um, just pointing out the facts. California, with its millions upon millions of people, has the exact same say in our Senate as uh, Wyoming with its two people. And that is a way to give a voice to people based on where they live and all that, I understand. But then to have the, the you-know-what to criticize and pretend that Republicans aren't having their voice heard or something like that is nutso. When you actually take the population of America, we would be way more liberal if you just polled Americans on stuff. Oh, yeah. So, uh. so Luke, I mean, the Electoral College, which has a red rural state bias, and it's ever increasing with each subsequent election, Democrats have to increasingly overperform, increasingly overperform both in each subsequent election. Uh, in order to stay competitive in terms of electing the president. Number one, the Senate makeup, as you pointed out, when the the Senate was effectively split 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats, Democrats represented 30 to 40 million more people. You have state legislatures. There are 50 states in this country. 30 state legislatures are controlled by Republicans, which means we will never get anywhere close to a liberal-leaning constitutional amendment or everything else. You have separation of powers and federalism, which are great ideas on paper, but in terms of application, benefit conservatives because it makes change so much more difficult, right? Because power is dispersed. You have 50 states. They have their own three branches. You have municipal and local governments, powers dispersed. So progressive change is really, really difficult. The highest court in the land has a 6-3 conservative super majority. The, the, you know what I'm going to say? The political system in the United States, Luke Beasley, is affirmative action for Republicans. That's what it is. We, the, the game is rigged in their favor. Um, and they, they not only have no conception of it or appreciation for it, they have the audacity, the temerity to say, actually, no. <laughs> right. It's rigged in favor you of Democrats. You ungrateful. <laughs> yes. I feel like I'm talking to a kid of mine. How dare you? <laughs> you should be grateful for what yes. you get. <laughs> Gosh, meanwhile, we have to hoof it for everything. Like, come, come on, man. I mean, it's just, meanwhile, it's we have so... issues that poll at, you know, 
80% or whatever in the country, 60% on others, and there's no way in hell we're going to get it anytime soon because of the structural um, reality. So all that being said, be grateful for what you have if you're a Republican and stop complaining. Actually, Republicans should be so boys. encouraged, Luke, by this segment <laughs> right here. We probably uplifted the spirits of so many Republicans. They were like, oh man, I didn't know we had it so good here. We but got Biden, a lot going Biden's on. Biden's not doing a good enough job of reaching out across the aisle. <sighs> oh, miss me with the... I'm, 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 <laughs> As he's like having tea with Republicans constantly trying to show them how much he loves them. Okay, we got to end it there. That's today's show. Apologies for the off the rails nature of the end there. Um, go on, be grateful. And Josiah, before we leave, you want to plug your stuff? Yes. Okay, listen, if you're a Republican who's not appreciative of the advantages that you have, I want Don't you to subscribe. go to the I want you I want you actually to subscribe to my channel, the Pondering Politics channel, youtube.com slash at pondering politics, because believe me, you will hear about how Republicans are advantaged in the United States political process. If you want you know, left-leaning political commentary that's interested in coalition building, hyping up Democrats, and calling out for the GOP for the cult it's become. Please go to my channel, like, subscribe, give me feedback, youtube.com slash at ponderingpolitics, one word. Thanks, everybody. And we will both see you all on, not all of you, unfortunately, but we should see you all on the bonus show. Go to lukebeasleyshow.com slash membership to get access to the bonus show. See you all tomorrow.